Boom! What up, ladies and gents? It is Thursday, my favorite day of the week. S-H-I-T. So happy it's Thursday. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business and social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. <laughs> it is time to drop the heat. The heat. Here we go. All right, all you business pros out there. Before we jump into the show, just a quick reminder to please subscribe on whichever platform it is that you're listening to us on today. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, and drop a review. Help other like-minded business owners find value from our awesome guests while we rise up in the podcast rankings. We'll sincerely appreciate every single one of you for it. And if you want to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you on to learn from you as well. Go to www.businessbros.biz to schedule your time slot. Don't forget to follow us on all our social medias at Business Bros Pod. All right, everybody, we're so excited and honored to bring yet another incredible guest onto the Business Bros Pod. Having purchased his first property straight out of college, today's guest spent several years as an engineer in corporate America, traveling for his company and racking up his airline and hotel points, all the while bragging to the other first-class suckers around him about his platinum status. Then the moment came when he was almost fired, and from that moment on, he vowed to never be dependent on anyone else for his income. Our guest today is an engineer by trade, but since 2009, he's powered up his wealth, increased his net worth multiple times over, and has created a consistent enough cash flow to be able to semi-retire in Paradise, Hawaii. Tune in today to hear how he did it, and he's now teaching others to follow his path made simple to find financial freedom. Joining us today from SimplePassiveCashflow.com, welcome to the show, Lane Kawaoka! What's up, Lane? Ooh. Welcome to the program, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. For having me. How'd you Welcome like that intro? It's uh, super entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> we like to have fun around here. All right, man, let's just jump into it right away. Every entrepreneur is selling something. They're doing something to generate revenue and to increase their net worth, their bottom line, whatever it is. What are you selling? I go into deals and I bring investors along with me. So when I make money, they make money. Uh, yeah. So is is it like, a, are you talking like syndication or uh, are you are you talking the individual small deals or how's it, how, what, what is it that you're developing? Uh, 100 units to 250 units. We buy existing properties at cash flow or we'll go and build brand new ones. Kind of the different business plans there, depending what 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 the deal is. All right, let's start. Let's let's take me back a little bit. So James kind of mentioned in your intro that you bought your first property. You were uh, kind of flying and dealing with people. Kind of had this idea of yourself until you almost lost your job. Can you take me back to that moment and and tell me what you were what you were thinking and how your life changed for the better? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll kind of back up a couple years prior to that. I mean, as an engineer, I I got groomed as you know you go to school you study hard you save up your money you buy a house to live in which i don't necessarily agree with we can talk about that in a bit but 
and I bought this house to live in and I was never home. So I just started to rent it out and the monthly rents were 2,200 bucks and the mortgage was $1,600. I knew nothing about the rent to value ratio, 50% rule. All I knew was making you know, four or 500 bucks every month as cash flow. And to a young 20 something year old kid, that was a lot of beer money. But then I realized that was my ticket out of the rat race and kind of dedicated the, the next few years to just saving up more money to buy more properties. Dude, the I, I love how you use the rat race analogy. I love how you're also from Hawaii, just like Kiyosaki was. How much of an influence did Rich Dad Poor Dad have on you, if any? I mean, I honestly didn't really read that book until I had to fill properties. And then when I read it, I was like, well, yeah, duh. I mean, <laughs> but I don't know. That, that book is a great, I mean, I like how it's written. That's for sure. Right. Uh, great. A lot of people say it's good with the mindset and I think everything is are true, but like, okay, now WTF do we do? Right. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing tactual in that book. If people could strew that book as sort of like the Bible and pull it all weird ways and say, like, well, that means you have to sell essential oils or what a hey, passive cash flow, man. You know, like how do you really do it? Right. So, I, mean, I kind of set out my journey as a high paid professional, right? How do you do it when your hourly rate at your day job is pretty high compared to most people and you don't want to screw around flipping houses, wholesome houses or doing, you know, painting butt stuff. So what, but then how did you do it? So, you know, it's, it's, and I agree with you, there is not a lot of practical, tactical things that you can pull out of that other than maybe debt snowballing and, and understanding the basics of, of reading a cash flow statement. There's still something that you need to do. And he often talks about building businesses and investing in real estate. And what you kind of mentioned was a little bit different. It was like, look, you have a high paying job. Uh, you may not want to deal with flipping houses and stuff, but you do have to do something with the money that you earn. You do have to put it to work somehow. You do have to finally take a risk so that you can reap some sort of reward. How did you do it? Yeah, I mean, I think it essentially comes down to what your highest and best use is. Um, and you figure this out by looking at the three biggest resources you have, time, money, and then a knowledge slash network. Right. so when I started, I had money. I didn't have too much of it, but I had a good paying job. I didn't know too much, but you know that can be worked on. But then the, the thing I didn't have was much time, right? So when you have that type of formula, it kind of leads into passive and real estate investing or investing for cash flow. That's, and so that's what I did. Like I was really good at saving money. I was pretty frugal. I was able to save like 50 grand a year right out of college. And, you know, as I bought more and more rentals, I was able to buy properties quicker. So it took me maybe about six years to get up to 11 rental properties. Um, and then, you know, just saving up the, the normal 20% down payment, no tricks, no games, just good old fashioned saving money. That doesn't- 60% of the time it works every time. Exactly. Right. So, and here's the thing is what you're describing doesn't sound sexy at all. It is not get rich quick. It is not, uh, you know, all of a sudden you, you come overnight and you're, you have, you know, a thousand doors that you're managing or that you own. You did it a very strategic, very slow, very monotical uh, process. Like it was very just a little bit at a time. I put away, you know, I get paid, I do my job, I put some money away, I'm frugal, and then I go ahead and invest that money. And there's a lot of people who can be frugal 
but not necessarily invest that money, right? They, they value it so much because they've worked hard for it that even the idea of risking it to put it to work for them doesn't kind of pan out. So, you know, there's got to be something a little bit different. You had a, a little different mindset when it comes to investing that and starting to buy one and starting to buy two. What was your experience like when you first started buying rental property, when you started looking for some, and maybe you didn't have that knowledge base, but you knew it was something you wanted to do? You consider failure experience. Exactly, right? Yeah, I mean, in, I got lucky, right? I kind of started at the right time, and I was buying in Seattle, Washington, which is a primary market. I don't necessarily think that you should invest in private markets because the rent to value ratio is not high enough for you to be able to cash flow. What we usually look for is something 1% or higher. So you figure out the rent to value ratio by taking monthly rent, dividing by the purchase price, and that's your rent to value ratio. So you know, a lot of places, people live in California, Hawaii, New York, it's just not going to be able to work out there. I wouldn't advocate for buying properties in those type of locations because you're not having a rental valuation one percent or higher. You probably could find it if you go to the the rough areas, but we don't we don't buy properties in rough areas. We kind of cater towards the middle market, so the you know the average good paying tenant. Um, then you know to get that we have to go to more secondary tertiary markets like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock, like places like that. So when you started buying a property, you started buying up in different, uh, obviously in different states, states where you can hit that 1% rule. Uh, and by the way, another way to do the 1% on that purchase price is take that purchase price and move the zero a couple times, right? So you can move the zero a couple times and, and you're, you're going to hit that 1% rule for, for that rent. So when you're looking at these places that you're going to invest in, that you're buying these small homes, you mentioned something where you're not buying, you know, different investors call them different things, but we're looking at A, B, C, or D type properties, right? So you're, you're talking about maybe more of the, the C or higher properties, or are you talking about like the B value properties? Can you kind of describe the different um, income levels, the different type of people that live in these different areas and why you address, why you go after those specific types of rentals? Yeah, so you know you have A, B, C, and maybe let's just call it war zone enough property. <laughs> uh, the A's you're not going to find in, even in secondary and tertiary markets. You're not going to find the rent to value ratio in your A type of areas. And these are the cool places that probably you and I like to live in, right? Where you, uh, um, you know, where you got the Starbucks in every corner, you got the new developments coming in. It's you're just not going to find it. Right? Um, we mainly target the B and C class areas. And yeah, these this is going to be a mix of blue collar, some white collar workers. It's not going to be in the safest of areas. It's also not going to be in the worst areas, right? That's the war zone properties, um, and it's not going to be in the best school districts. But it has it's it's a it's a great middle of market. Um, it's in the middle of bell curve of America. Most people live in these type of areas, and this is where you're going to get the optimal amount of rent per headaches. So oh, you're right. And when you're right, you're right. And you, you're always right. One of my favorite board games sitting up uh, right there, Monopoly, right? So you're, we're at the stage right now where you're buying li the, the little greenhouses. So you talked about it took you six years to get to the point where you had 11 properties um, and you didn't stop there. By that time, you've started to increase your financial IQ. You started to be more intentional on where you're buying properties. You really start to look at your vacancy rates. You start to look at your expenses. You start to look at your cash flow. You really start looking at the metrics of things. 
which you probably already did because you had a you know, an engineering background, but um, you start looking at a, a bunch more things. And so now you get to a point where you have 11 properties and you start thinking, okay, I'm done with these greenhouses. It's time to move into those red hotels. It's time to start looking at some commercial property. So instead of going, you know, one to four units, you start looking at larger units. What was that transition like? And at what point did you know that, okay, it's time to move from single family homes to uh, more of the commercial property? Yeah, I mean, I fought it for a really long time, right? Because you know, your comfort zone is with the small stuff and you kind of built out your relationships in that arena and you kind of know how to do it. Again, we're just buying commodities, right? Little boxes where people in this range live in. I know how to do it, rinse, wash, repeat. But just to give a little people insight of, you know, 11 rental properties. Um, if I didn't mention before, we have property management to kind of do our dirty work for us, right? To take care of all the headaches. Um, but still with 11 properties, we have maybe like an eviction or two every year, some kind of big issue that happened every quarter, like a tree falling on the house or some kind of winter storm, or some kind of storm flooding out a basement or a big plumbing repair or something. Um, not a big deal, right, for 10 properties, but at a few hundred bucks of cash flow per property times 10, 11 of them, you know, that's $3,000 a month passive cash flow, which is awesome. I'm going to lie, right? But I don't know what American family can survive off $3,000. You're going to need to hit most of my clients are the goal is 10 G's a month, right, at least. So you're going to need 30 of these freaking houses. So 3X the exception rate. So now you're talking about eviction every other month and some kind of big catastrophe every other week. And you can quickly see how this is not scalable, right? Especially for a high paid W-2 earner, even if you are playing, managing the management, right? So this, and this is about the time where I started to actually pay for some education and training, get, get around other, um, join different masterminds that are paid groups. And I got around other high paid, high net worth accredited investors that were a little bit further along the path than myself. And I started to, you know, build relationships with these people and I started to realize, yeah, when you become more of an accredited investor, you don't own rental properties by yourself. You join different private placements and syndications as an LP investor for so many reasons. And it's just, it's just what they do. And they all kind of laugh because they all owned rental properties before and they thought that was the coolest thing when they first started. But everybody kind of made the transition to this once their net worth came over a certain point. All right, let's hover on that because you said a couple things that I want to make sure that that we clarify. So you, 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 what you were doing is you were finding mentorship. You're finding people that were more successful than what you were doing and you were learning from them. And sometimes you paid for these coaching sessions. You paid for these masterminds to be around some of the people that are doing things at a higher level. Uh, and then you started learning about how to get involved in these commercial properties, whether you call them, um, whether they were syndications or you call them LPs, which, which uh, for those of you listening, he's talking about limited partnerships. And the reason why they're limited partnerships is because if things go sour and a rental property on your own, you're holding the bag for everything. Where exactly, right? Whereas in a limited partnership, if everything goes down, you're only uh, limited to what you contributed into this particular partnership. That's where the max of your loss can be. Um, but it has great uptick for growing after that. 
So when you started entering into some of these syndications, into some of these uh, limited partnerships, how did uh, how did that pan out? What was it like comparing yourself going from, you know, and it's funny because now when you look back, you're like, oh, you're the little the little house rental guy now moving into buying 100 doors or more. Yeah, I mean, it's quite frankly easier, right? As an LP, you don't do anything. Just put in your money. Um, you know, if your net worth is under a quarter million, half a million, you probably shouldn't play ball with this stuff. You have to just buy your own rentals and get your net worth up. But I was kind of to this point where I was kind of transitioning to more of an accredited investor and being able to participate in these types of deals. And I got involved in the operation of a lot of them. And that was kind of where I started, you know, doing deals on my own, bringing in the people in my group, and yeah, kind of taking down these large buildings. And what happened to those 11 properties? Did you end up selling them and, and getting rid of the actual asset, liquidating and using the cash? Did you do something like a 1031 tax exchange and kind of trade it up? What ended up happening to a lot of these? Yeah, we just uploaded them. And you know, like oh, that's the one big thing. Like none of us do 1031 exchanges. I don't know why anybody does those things. To me, they're totally obsolete. Um, with these larger deals, you're doing what's called a cost segregation. So, yes, maybe like for those of you guys unaware, like with rental property, you can deduct one twenty seventh of the property over twenty seven years, straight line depreciation on the building improvement value, which is okay, and that's you know usually it usually helps your taxes, but on these larger deals, you can do what's called a cost segregation and utilizing the new tax bonus depreciation laws, you can write off a big chunk of that building in the first year, often like a third of them, creating this huge passive loss for even passive LP investors who have their equity share. So now when you go into deals, you get this huge amount of passive activity loss. And so when I when I was kind of going into these deals, I had several hundred thousand dollars of passive activity losses. When I sold off the single family homes and assets and I had my depreciation recapture and capital gain, I was able to use those passive activity losses to offset that completely, making the 1031 exchange completely obsolete. And you know, 1031, I love 1031 exchangers as a seller because everybody knows that they're suckers. They're unsophisticated investors that fed into this 1031 nonsense and are exchanging and they're desperate. I love 1031 buyers. <laughs> well, they have the time frame, right? There's a, there's a limited, uh, how do I get this bread? Uh, I, I, um, I think he's talking about the money, right? How do we grow that? Uh, when, when we're, when you're talking about the 1031s because of the limited time frame, right? So there's only so much time that you need to I, uh, identify that property and then put it into play. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's null and void. But what you did was, was beautiful. And it's funny because, you know, the, the last president we had, Donald Trump, got really ridiculed for not paying a lot of income tax. But the strategy that you're describing right here can be one of those simple strategies where you're offsetting some of these long-term capital gains, some of these uh, um, um, depreciation recapture, and then you're turning around and using these uh, these other passive losses to kind of offset those things. Those are skills and those are um, tax laws that – you have to learn about that the average person doesn't quite understand because they're not actively involved in that. How much of your time are you spending learning some of these strategies and, and learning some of these tax laws because all of a sudden they affect your bottom line? Yeah, I mean, I do this all day. And this is a, just a, one example of as I started to 
get around other net worth, uh, high net worth investors. I mean, this is what you learned through your peer group. And what I started to realize and when I got frustrated was like a lot of the stuff that the wealthy do are completely different than what my parents taught me or what I was learning in the cubicle land. Um, now I don't work a day job. I'm not around, you know, normal taxpayer thinkers and, you know, those type of folks. So I, I, but I see like the total difference, like the pe way people do things is completely wrong in my opinion, like retirement accounts, like you don't do retirement accounts. I don't want my money in a retirement 401k type of IRA, Roth IRA type of thing. Um, but then a lot of the things that the wealthy do are completely counterintuitive, but they're simple. Right? I mean, that's where like simple passive cash flow comes in. A lot of this stuff is just, you know, it's like the system is engineered against all of us, right? The hardworking middle class pays all the taxes and works hard for 40, 50 years. I mean, if everybody just bought. He ain't lying. Hey, you ain't lying. Bought a handful of rentals, paid them off, which I don't necessarily think is a great idea. But even if they did a bad idea, like paying off their rental properties, they'd be able to you know, quit their day job. And a lot of people under 10 years. Well, we talk We're about not just doing this for money. We're doing it for a shitload of money. Well, that's the bottom line, right? You know, we, when I talk to people about, about retirement, oftentimes they always have the same answer. When, when you ask them about retirement, they're like, oh, I'm going to retire at 65 or after 30 years of service or whatever that situation is. And I try to explain to people as often as I possibly can, retirement is not an age problem. Retirement is a cash flow problem. And the sooner you figure out the cash flow problem, the sooner you can retire. And it doesn't mean you can you you stop working. You just start doing something that's more along the lines of your passion or what you actually like to do. Now you started with a couple rental properties, you moved into the larger commercial space, but then I'm, I'm assuming after you hit a certain level of cash flow, you decided, you know what? I think I should teach people this stuff. And, and, and you started talking a little bit about, you know, simple passive cash flow. So tell me about what you do there and how your, um, your story kind of plays into that. Yeah. I mean, I started to invest in this stuff in 2009 and all these years, all my friends would ask me what I'm doing, right? How am I buying these properties in Birmingham? When I did buy rental properties, you know, single family homes. So, you know, we all know our friends, right? They all ask us these questions and suck our time and they don't do anything. So I just got frustrated and just made a podcast. So like, you know, people go to the beginning podcast, it's full passive cash flow. Like they're all pretty, they're all pretty much like, how do you buy a rental property? Where do you buy? Who do you go? What are the tactics there? I would say the first like 20 podcasts were really around, you know, that type of investing, but as that was back in 2016, but that was really the transformation time when I was kind of changing more into a credit investor, investing as an OP, larger deals, uh, diversified over different asset classes, multifamily, mobile home park, self-storage, industrial office, and starting to implement a lot of these tax strategies, right? Because you invest in these deals that give you the passive activity losses, and now you can possibly use that to choose how much taxes you want. Maybe implement a real estate professional status on your taxes to offset your ordinary income if your ordinary income is high. But slowly over time, you kind of move the needle from ordinary income to passive income. And that's the, that's the secret of the wealthy. And they keep investing and you know, implement other strategies like infinite banking and such. The, uh, the passive part 
the passive part, I don't think a lot of people quite understand. And, and I think you've, you've kind of hinted on this a little bit when you had the 11 properties. Yeah, it was passive, but if you're self-managing, it's not very passive because all the stuff that can happen during those, dur during that ownership, you started to use things like property management for your single families. How do you manage the properties and how do you stay away from doing the work uh, in these limited partnerships when you're investing in larger, uh, larger uh, door numbers? Yeah, I mean, when you're an LP passive investor, you don't do anything. Just give us your direct deposit information. We'll tell you, we'll deposit your checks for you. I mean, that's the beauty of an LP position. You, you don't do anything. But your due diligence is on the front end, figuring out who do you want to invest with. And a lot of the, you know, building up your network, your pure passive investor network, which, um, you know, that's how you're going to figure out who to invest with, who are the shysters out there, who to stay away from, because none of this is on a website, right? It, it's all through a private network. It, it, this is the country club, guys. Okay, so let's talk about your podcast. So you started doing a podcast. Uh, we got Performing Nerd here asking, you know, can you offer some advice and growing your band like viewers on, on Twitch? And when you start uh, opening up, a podcast means you're you're talking to more than just the guests that you have on the show or the microphone that's in front of you. You're developing content to grow your brand. Why did you start the podcast and what was the purpose behind it uh, and, and how's it going? The purpose of the podcast originally was to teach people how to buy a freaking rental property remotely, especially if they live in California, Seattle, Hawaii, and these places where the rental value ratios don't make sense. To me, I think you know, at some point you have to go passive, which an intermediate step could be to buy rental properties, but make sure it cash flows, right? I mean, if not, you're just gambling on appreciation, which I don't agree with. I think cash flow is the only sure way of investing where you know you're not going to lose your share. Um, you know, even in a recession, people have to pay rent and typically rents don't go down. But in, even in bad times, you want to be able to have some cash reserves and be able to cash, lower the rents and still get a tenant in there. So, you know, a lot of that is really basic stuff, which I covered in the first you know, couple dozen podcasts. And that's how it started, right? And then I kind of changed the stuff I started learning was more investing in syndications and private placements. So that's where the topic material went later. So it was, if people were to kind of look from a high level, what I did by chance, by blood is I just kind of told my story and it was real and there was a lot of faults along the way, but for some reason people trust me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because of the engineering degree. Maybe it's because of the history of actually buying rental properties. It's funny how people trust you when you actually have done something that they want to do. Like it's, it's, it's one thing to talk to a guru who's never really done anything, but they're great about talking on stage and selling stuff versus somebody who's owned 11 rental properties, who's moved into working on, on apartment complexes, who's part of limited partnerships and syndications, who's putting together, who has a podcast and is actively talking about what it is that they're doing. So, you know, building the trust, that's that's been done through what you've already put together. What is in the works for your future? I mean, you've you've gotten to the point where you've invested where you're you're not really having to work for a job anymore. You're now teaching others how to develop the same type of cash flow. What's in store for you going forward? Yeah, so I kind of have two sides of my business. One side is the education and mentoring side, and you know, I I just kind of creating more of a family office group um, of other high net worth families who want to be in a kind of inner circle 
and build relationships to each other. So it's kind of a high-end mastermind. We have a lot of, you know, e-courses that, you know, are kind of more scalable for folks who are looking to get started. But then on the operations side, you know, we bring in folks who want to invest alongside of us. They learn what we do. They check out the deals. And if they want to give us a try, we, we let them we see where the relationship takes us. Um, but we're big on relationships, right? I mean, it has to be a good fit. Right. Some investors just don't understand this stuff. I mean, technically, you have to be a sophisticated investor to invest with us, if not accredited investor. Well, big shout out to the Twitch community out there. You got Dave Abbott Music, uh, Lee, what is that? Dithalini. Uh, we got Adam. We got Performing Nerd. We got a bunch of people that are uh, are chiming in in the chat on on uh, on Twitch. So if they're interested in finding out more about learning about investing with you, learning about becoming an accredited investor because you, you're not an accredited investor until you have certain criteria, ladies and gentlemen. So if they want to learn how to get to the level that you're at, how can they get a hold of you? How can they work with you? Yeah, I would say like here, here's the simple passive path, cash flow path, guys. Like if your net worth is under a quarter million, half a million, um, go buy a rental property. Right, you're gonna need 20, 30 grand to do that. If you don't have that, sorry, I can't help you. There's probably dozens and dozens of other podcasts. We'll teach you how to make something out of nothing. I would love to take your $30,000 away from you to teach you how to do that. I just can't help you, right? I, I work with you know folks with good paying jobs who have some cash to start investing. Um, so yeah, turnkey rentals are is a great way to get going, but I would recommend listening to the first dozen podcasts on how to pick your first remote rental, especially if you live in a place where the numbers don't work. But if you know, you're know you more of an accredited investor, um, you know, check out the, the website, simplepassivecashflow.com and reach out to me there. Thanks a lot, Elaine. Uh, it's been very informative today. I mean, just the journey that you went on has been impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, look, here's what it comes down to. We talk about this, we preach this, I talk about this, I preach this all the time. You have a W-2 job, that's great. That's paying for your bills. J-O-B, baby, just over broke. But you need to have your side hustle off and rolling and then you need to put that money to work for you. And that's what Lane's talking about here. Put that money away. Start being a little more frugal, use that side hustle money. Look, if you're already working an eight to five, right? If you're already doing that hard work, Whatever time you're spending in your side hustle, that money should be yours. Don't go spend it on Gucci and whatever. Put that money to work for you. You've already worked your ass off for it. Put it to work. And the one of the ways to do that is to go out and buy some rental property. Start to increase your ability to buy property. Start to increase your ability to understand what happens when you buy it. Start filing a Schedule E. You start learning a little bit more on how it affects your taxes. The little incremental actions that you're doing are going to increase the knowledge and increase your net worth over time so that you can get involved in syndications like this. So you can get into a position where when somebody talks about an LP, it doesn't go over your head. You know exactly what they're talking about because you've learned step by step by step. And then you can hit up people like Lane and go to smartpassivecashflow.com or sorry, simplepassivecashflow.com uh, and get involved in some of these things. Find masterminds, find people like his, uh, like, like Lane and his podcast to learn because it takes a little bit of knowledge every single day to get you in a position where you can be successful. Lane, thank you very much for spending some time with us on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. I see that's coming up. 
Yeah, it's almost around the corner. Uh, AJ, make sure you check out uh, in the chat. We put the uh, Teespring link so you guys can grab a T-shirt, grab our little Business Bros logo. Oops, other side. Business Bro logo, T-shirt, whatever. I'm on the wrong side. Uh, there we go, like that, something like that. There you go. I don't know how to point. It's all in reverse. But anyways, uh, yeah, go ahead and check out the uh, chat. That's where it's at. Ladies and gents, we'll see you again next week. Or Sorry, yeah, next week, uh, tomorrow. Uh, we have a, a sad uh, arrangement. We're going to a Memorial of Life ceremony tomorrow, so there will be no live show, but we'll see you again next week. For today, that's all we got for you guys. S-H-I-T, y'all. So happy it's Thursday. We'll catch you again next week. Peace, and we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the business bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.